In this episode of 92i Talks, the cast of Netflix's Santa Clarita Diet, including Drew Barrymore, Timothy Oliphant, Liv Hewson, Skylar Gisando, and executive producer Victor Fresco, discuss the hit show's second season with Vanity Fair's Michael Hogan. The conversation was recorded on March 19, 2018, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Hello, everybody. Uh, wow, what a great packed audience we have here. I'm Mike Hogan, the digital director at Vanity Fair, and I'm thrilled to be here with the creative team and cast of Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix. Uh, starting at the end is Victor Fresco, the executive producer. Then <laughs> we have Liv Hewson, who plays Abby on the show. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant, who plays Joel Hammond. A little-known actress named Drew Barrymore, who plays Sheila Hammond. And, and Skylar Gisando, who plays Eric. And Drew, if, I want to start with you because we just met, but I feel like we grew up together. Is that okay for me to say? I feel like people probably say that no, too. No, I, I am. I'm like the old chair. I'm no, 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 no but I, like I think that that is a good thing. And I think I'm like Norm from Cheers. Like I am the large man at the end of the bar who's <laughs> consistently there with a beer. Like it's very comfortable. So well, yes. I didn't I, mean I, it like that, but I was going to say. That's how I see it. But, and I like it, but I like okay. yours too. Great. Okay. Well, but from uh, when you were a child playing uh, Firestarter, Cat's Eye, you've always had a thing for horror. You've been in a lot of horror. Do you have a thing for horror? Do you like horror? Is horror like a thing for you? I cannot watch horror. It was when I was younger. Like, I loved um, When a Stranger Calls. That film uh, screwed me up more than any film I've ever seen in my life. So I've always been fascinated with it, but I don't watch it for pleasure because it is, I'm just as, I don't find those movies entertaining. I find them to realize my worst nightmare. So I like to be in them, but not watch them. That, that's fair. That, that sounds right. And, and Victor, I wanted to ask you. I don't like horror either. You don't like horror either? Okay, don't. great. Just checking. I feel like I have enough anxiety in my life that I don't like to sit and watch things that make me anxious. But I never thought of this as horror. I don't know if this was going to be your question, but I'm just piggybacking. I never thought of this as horror. I always thought of it as a comedy with life and death stakes, like a bigger right. you know, patina to, to, to be on for comedy than we're usually used to. I think that's why we're so alike. Like, when we're not working, we're usually by the monitors talking about our children, and it's so, like, heartfelt and normal. And then Victor and I also don't think that, like, the vomit or the blood is, like, too crazy. Although that changed when I was recently presented with bull's balls and bird saliva in... Where were we, Tim? That was, that was in Bangkok. Yeah, like, that's a delicacy for them. Oh, I think it was actually a Taiwanese journalist. That's true. It was a Taiwanese journalist in Bangkok. And f for the first time, that I, like... That didn't stop me from trying to say, I love Thailand to her <laughs> in Thai. It was this, a big mistake. We just got back. We're jet-lagged. Sorry. But this um, was a gift... Uh, what was the context of you receiving yeah. Bulls Balls? It was at a press junket, and she yeah. presented me with this thing, and it was the first time, Victor, I ever thought, oh, yeah, I do have a squirmy stomach or a queasy stomach sometimes, <laughs> because I think Victor's right. Like, this is not a horror genre show. It's about family and making daily life work, and it's a comedy, and 
Victor and I are so similar in our lack of like, this is, we don't think it's that bizarre. You guys, I'm right. curious, do you guys think of it as a horror? Or like, raise your hand if you feel like it is in the horror genre, the horror, not that many. You know, it's not about love. Here, at least. <laughs> okay, but, but, well, so let me ask you this then. Zombies, big fixture of American cinema, going back at least to George Romero. What do the zombies mean to you? Victor as the creator. Um, the, the, well, we the call undead. them undead. The undead. We feel that the word zombie is derogatory because okay. they've inherently... They You've got to be very careful these days, folks. I mythology you know. around them where they're mindless consumers of human flesh, and they're, we believe more than that. So we feel like <laughs> undead kind of captures it in a more friendly and way. And not cannibals because cannibals are assholes and they do it by choice, right? Right, okay. They're not cannibals either. That's right. She's doing it because she has to do it. That's right. She's um, a victim. You eat people mindfully, not mindlessly. It's mindful, like, consumption of humans. You. <laughs> but I always felt like why, you know, we are used to seeing one version of the undead, which is mindless consumers, consumers of human flesh. But why can't you have that same virus but be a normal person? And then since I come from comedy, I thought that was a funny area to work in of what if... You're just, you're activated, you know, uh, the undead are activated to want what they want whenever they want it, and that's generally eating. But what if that activation permeates in other parts of your life, so you also want to be, you know, you're sexualized more, and you want to be better at your job, and you want to just be a huge presence in life. So why can't that undead switch that we're used to seeing as just consuming also, you know, take over these other parts of your life. So that's where it came from. It's like it activates Sheila's id. She becomes the person kind of that she wanted to be with this one kind of mixed element of it is that she has to kill and eat people. Right. Also, you, perfect, right? you talked about the element of narcissism as a societal metaphor um, when we first had our first conversation. And I thought that was so amazing, whether it's social media or... You know, especially the way I've grown up, I was always very sort of experimental and not withheld. And I thought the themes of the show were so deep. How do you make, you know, a relationship work if somebody decides after 25 years? And Tim has said it so well, too. If someone decides, I need to move to London for a new job or I'm, you know, I've decided to... What were some of your others? Because that doesn't sound as drastic. But... Um, if you Taking. if you have a major life change, how how? Also, Victor said, "I never want to see this couple fight, really and genuinely. I don't want to see bickering. I want to see a couple that decides consciously every day, no matter how hard it is, and what they have to express to each other to be honest and make it through." I like seeing a show about a surviving team and family and this sort of like origin feeling of how these people band together and fix things because we're in a like decaying society of people not being able to make it work. And therefore, for me, was the optimism in the heart. And if you have that, you can kind of go anywhere. Same as suburbia. It's like, I can't relate to outer space, but I know it happens in a home that well, I, I, I understand. In the finale of, of, of the first season, there's the argument about, which is such a classic marriage argument, where 
um, Sheila kind of lures Joel into, you know, how would you kill me? It's fine, whatever, whatever you want to say. And he finally says, okay, I'd hit you in the head with a baseball bat. And that becomes like a recurring thing to dig at him. But obviously the, the, the setup gives you a chance to kind of make fun of and talk about marriage, right? I mean, does everybody who's married kind of relate or has been married? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure, big time. Uh, <laughs> how much does it... Have well, you seen these dynamics in 20, your life? 23 years now for me and Mrs. back home, right? And our, and our two little ones are watching. Go to bed. Go to bed. Um, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I don't know where to go with that joke. I'm, yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is where the show lives. On You know, there's high stakes, which is fun. and But the show lives in that relationship. And how do we navigate, like, the tiny thing is the gardener stealing the hose. You use that example while they're cleaning up blood and guts from the kitchen and uh, talking about, you know, I also like the little discussions. And this is from first season of who are we going to kill? You know, we need to kill somebody. So how do you navigate that? You know, like the perfect... Uh, template would be the young single Hitler they decide in that first season but the, that guy's not out there so uh, you know it's the smaller discussions that married couples have against this backdrop of obviously the wheels have come off in this giant way because Sheila's killing people and, and Tim so many of us know you from Justified uh, how are you having like a lot of fun doing something that's so different is this is this the blast yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I had fun pretending to be a badass for years, um, <laughs> and now I'm having fun uh, pretending to be a pretending to be a total wuss. Um, and um, no, this this job's a kick. I mean, if I could figure it out, I'd just do this for a few years and then call it a day. It's been a good one. And you say wuss, which is so interesting because so many right. women... No, I didn't mean wuss. ...would love a husband like I was just, you. I was just pointing... It's true. Yeah, well... Because not a lot of... You know, it's not every day that... And I have to make a comment with something I was thinking about last night while I couldn't sleep from jet lag is... Um, and I think it's in the episode we just watched, so it's actually relevant, is when I say, please don't ever give up on me, the way you say never has 1% of hesitancy and 99% of I'm just going to do whatever it takes until I break. And it's one of the most great single words I've ever been around in the ability to act my way through life, the way you say it. And it's true to men. Men are never going to be like, never. <laughs> it's like frozen. She's like, can I say something crazy? And he's like, I love crazy. And then he tries to kill her. So you know right. yes. that like, that's why that <laughs> happened. Um, but the way you say never is so perfect because it's, you're still a man, but you're just doing everything you can, you know, until your untimely death practically to make this work. And that's why I think women do really love him as a husband that's all I hear I wish I had a husband like Joel well I think I think it makes someone more brave to be frightened of something or unsure of something and do it oh sorry (laughs) I've lied to you none of that happened um I think I think it makes someone more brave to like be frightened or unsure about something and then do and be committed to doing it anyway I think he's less of a worse because of that well, and Liv, now that you've revealed your accent, can I ask you a question? Uh, you grew up in Australia. 
Yes. So what do you what do you think of the show's critique of suburban America? Is Australia is, would it would it apply to Australia too, or is this a uniquely American world that's being sent up here? Um, it's funny because there are, there are well okay when when I first came to the states it what struck me was that it felt a bit like a parallel universe that like okay like sort of colonial offshoot from England, similar history in a big way, but then big differences. And and so what we've ended up with are two places that are similar enough that you sort of know what you're doing the whole time, but the little differences really trip you up. It'd be like going to a parallel universe and like your dog's a different breed and, and your sister's not there. Like like just, it's everything's the same, but these five things and that's what's weird. So suburban realtors, they're the same or basically or... I mean, not called realtors. Sort of, yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of, a little bit, but may- maybe a bit more, maybe a bit more casual, maybe more comfortable swearing. Right. <laughs> I know. It- I'm trying to keep it to a minimum. I'm so <laughs> sorry. And if there are children in the room, please let me know. Yeah. Great. All right. There's one. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm free. We we're swearing in that as well, so the damage is done. Yeah. Yeah, it's already it's, it's fine. already happened. I'm free. <laughs> Well, and Skylar, you represent the you you kind of are the stand-in for nerd culture, with all due respect here, right? In this in this show, I mean, you're kind of you, and I think that's important. That's an important part of today's suburbs and today's growing up, right? And Which could not be a farther stretch from, you know. Really? Is it a stretch for you? <laughs> are you well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. Um, <laughs> But like, are you into that stuff, or have you have you have you researched it at all? Have you learned about it? Like the the world of gamers and science, kids are into science and all that. Yeah, I uh, I did. I'm also. I mean, I'm a pretty weird dude to yeah. begin with. I mean, I was homeschooled <laughs> for like 13 years, so that does a number on you. You know, okay. I and mean? you get yeah. weird. No, but I didn't. I I knew some things, but it's actually been really fun getting more into it for the role. Uh, but I before the role, no, I didn't really have a knowledge of like video game stuff or the zombie stuff. But you learn along the way. For yeah. sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and and then there's a lot of like real. You guys are good in the show, but there's a lot of like really weird guys, like the one in the episode we saw, the the the, the vomit guy and all that. What's going on there? Like, there's a critique of sort of toxic maleness in the show. I hadn't thought of it. I mean, I, I thought of it in terms of like, well, who would answer an ad to produce their own bile? Right, okay. So it's functional to the script. So then it starts there, and so that <laughs> informs our casting. Um, but yeah, we've had, and in the second season, you know, we're lucky with this cast, we're able to attract really good talent. So obviously we have had Andy Richter and Joel McHale is in the second season, and Maggie Lawson. and So we, we have a deep bench, which is, uh, we're really fortunate to have. And how about writing? How about writing a character like like Drew's, a strong female character in in twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen? How do you both approach that? How do you make sure that that character is real, that that you know we're not kind of mansplaining onto that character? Um, you know, I think writers should be able to write all kinds of characters, not just who. You know, their experience is informed by who they are, but they shouldn't just have be able to write their own voice. They should be able to write other voices too. Uh, I've certainly written strong women before. I like strong women personally. I feel like I like watching them. I like interacting with them in real life. So I knew that that character was going to have a lot of strength, or that light switch when it got flipped on was going to have a lot of strength. And it's they're always. I mean, strong, smart characters are always just more. Fun to write, you right? Know? I mean, I think 
years ago in sitcom, and probably a lot of them still do, there's always the dumb character, which got really tiresome, but that character was there because you could always uh, help with exposition with the dumb character because they don't understand what's happening, and so you explain it to them. And dumb jokes are like writers love dumb jokes because they're so fun to, and easy to write. Uh, but that gets tiresome. And I think, you know, the, what I like about the show is the reality of the relationship. And so they feel like real people to me. And so it's not hard to write either of those characters, just feel real. It's more like a little bit, you know, I was on Mad About You years ago, and it, that kind of informs this of kind of how couples, this couple has been together 25 years, how they can finish each other's sentences, how they know each other so well, they know what bugs them about each other, and they have this unconditional love that happens after 20 years so that no one's going anywhere, and they're just connected. So it's, and they're both smart, I think. So they're, they're on the same page a lot, and that's just fun to work. It's fun to write. It's not difficult. And Drew, what's your, what, do, what do you think about, I mean, do, do you look for that in, in roles, try, trying to make sure you're not falling into some cliche, or you just, what do you look for in a role? I have no idea. Ever since I've had children, I didn't think I wanted or should act anymore because I've been so nervous about spending that, you know, films and television have very long hours. And um, I felt like I had worked since I was 11 months old. And now it was time to turn my attention to my 11th month old, my two 11 months old. Um, and then my life had like a meteor hit it. And uh, I just got, I don't know, maybe the karma for that horrible turn that I wasn't expecting, divorce. I thought I'd be married forever. And I was just so distraught and sad and confused. And then this thing came my way. And I thought, oh, well, this is the worst timing ever. I've given up on this career. I'm all about my children. And uh, then I literally received this script and I was very hesitant. I just didn't, again, think it was the right time. And sometimes what seems like the worst timing in your life will be the thing that ultimately pulls you out of the worst devastation you've ever had. And I... Thanks. I had like forgotten I was an actress and and this reminded me that I was and I worked very closely and honestly with Victor um, and I just said I'm so broken I, I I like this woman could I would love to equate being undead with the awakening of your life and uh, that was how I approached it with Victor and I was like shit I'm overweight I'm so sad and confused and maybe when you just walk through your life every day like in pain and the mundane but you think you're supposed to be doing it this way but maybe you should be doing it that way I got to go on a journey in the safest place with these people on this stage and have one of the greatest experiences of my life and then they had us back again yeah. and this is season two and I I um it it is honestly one of the best things that's ever happened to me, um, even in a karmatic way of getting to play a woman that Victor writes amongst the most brilliant comedians. I mean, you asked Skylar about his like nerd culture. I sit in these script readings with him every week, and it's like Woody Allen like called and wants his like comedy timing back. 
It's like the everyone's working on this insane level. Liv is so good. Tim is so good. Victor's so smart. I just got enveloped by an incredibly safe and exciting world. So I think I just got lucky in an unlucky time. Well, is that what? Yeah, really. And, and is that part of what attracted you to it, that, that the promise of the show is it's not just till death to us part, it's even a little longer than that, you know? It's kind of... I think there's an optimism to this show. Yeah. And I just, no matter how bad life gets, like, cry it out, but march forward. Don't sit in a corner and sit in your shit. Move on. Make, like, don't do that. <laughs> and there, there kind of is that same tone to this show, like, okay, now you're fucking dead. So now what? <laughs> And I like that because it's a great metaphor for how we are supposed to pull ourselves up every morning, every goddamn day, no matter what's happening, and find our bliss and our strength and our empowerment and band together like a tribe. And that's what I believe life is. And I know there's some other stuff going on in the show, but I definitely would love to eat a few people I could think of. <laughs> so... Now you're dead, so now you're dead, or you're dead, so now what is also a great tagline for our show. Yeah. Yeah. Season three. <laughs> patent pending, patent pending. See that? We got something out of this. And Tim, what about you? Deciding, I mean, deciding to do this project, what was I'm it? I'm glad you asked, and please, you can hold your applause during my answers. <laughs> <laughs> I found when my kids were small, <laughs> I would stare at them for a few weeks and think to myself, yeah, I'm going to go to fucking work. <laughs> I think it'd be best for me. I think it'd be best for you guys. Dad got a job. Um, and uh, it was also the only place where I could really get a nap. Because <laughs> when the kids are small, they know there's no napping around the house. Um, what was the question? <laughs> I mean, does it matter? Uh, you know, just what drew you to, uh, oh, to with, playing well, the part of Joel? By this job, oh, well, um, I just adored this thing. When this thing came to me, um, uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised that they offered it to me. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that I had done um, uh, before. Uh, you know, everybody kind of knows. In uh, our line of work, they tend to just offer you what you've done before. So it's always... Um, it's really quite thrilling and refreshing when somebody um, offers you something, um, uh, especially when it's good. And um, so I, I immediately was drawn to it. I thought, well, if I can get away with this, um, I actually didn't think I was uh, perfect for it. Um, but the great thing about television is that um, it's a very fluid medium. And so I figured, well, as long as I'm perfect for it around episode four, um, <laughs> we'll be fine. You know, so, well, uh, you know, well, well, you know, that's, that's kind of the fun thing about TV is that, um, you know, you, uh, if given the opportunity, um, you can really kind of hit your stride if you don't right off the bat. Um, well, it's one of my favorite things about season two. I think season two is is uh, is the very best of season one consistently all season long. And it's yeah. it's really so uh, it's really quite rewarding to have that kind of experience. 
Well, yeah, and that I wanted to ask you about Netflix and, and doing a show on Netflix versus doing a show on traditional linear TV where it's like, boom, the whole thing hits at once and people sample and they may or may not stay. I mean, has that been challenging? Has that been good, oh, bad, and different? Really, well, let me just say, um, when I first met with Tim, yeah. he kept saying, like, you want me for the Joel character, right? Not the neighbor. I'm like, no, no, it's the, it's the lead. <laughs> So he, I mean, he thought like it was going to be Dan at the time who died in that first season. Like, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, it was not designed for uh, a Tim Oliphant type of character, but we saw Tim and saw what he can do comedically. He had done some comedy, not a ton, uh, but it's such a richer piece because of it. You know, I think it was kind of designed more typically for like a more of a schleppy kind of guy who's like, you know, a follower and... To have a uh, Tim's strength, I think, has just really enhanced the show. Um, Netflix, oh my God! Yeah. Uh, and I also want to know what Tim's diet is because actually I'm I'm envious of the just it's like you're very trim, you know, for a suburban. He has such dad. a good metabolism, right? <laughs> is that Not what it is? You. <laughs> I get like fat in between seasons. <laughs> Thank God for At this the point diet. In my life, I mostly just drink. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah. sorry, you were saying. Um, so um, there's so many advantages to being at Netflix. I was joking with the executive uh, backstage. If this was a network show, it would start, the pitch would start with the Hammonds are the best realtors in Santa Clarita because everyone has to be good at their jobs on network until one day there's a knock at the door and Sheila's parents are moving in with them because that's what networks do, right? They have like your life is going fine and then your parents come to visit. So... It was, uh, the premise of it could only be done at a place like Netflix. You know, we love that it's serialized, which network television doesn't allow us to do in, uh, in half hour you know, until the show is maybe three, four, five years into it. So everything is a freestanding episode. You're always resetting back to one. This, we love that we can have these cliffhangers and, you know, it, it unfolds like a five-hour movie, which is challenging for us as writers, but much more exciting. We don't have to act break every four minutes, which is, I think, killing network television, that you have to manufacture these big uh-oh moments. Their content time is now down to about 20 minutes for half an hour, which is crazy with four act breaks. So there's a lot of stuff that they make it, they make it harder and harder, I think, to do good half-hour comedy every year, which is why I think half-hour comedy is really struggling on networks. You know, I don't think that writers have gotten worse in the last 20 years, but I think that there's so many restrictions on network that it's really made it hard to do good half-hour. Uh, and then the last thing I think that we just don't get the volume um, and idiocy of notes. I mean, they're smart net. Uh, Netflix. They're smart executives. They empower you to do the show you want to do. They're along for the ride. They have questions, which is good. Like a good executive should be like a good editor. What are you going for here? Oh, we didn't get that. But what I found in my last many years, and I only did network television up into this, is that as network ratings went down, executives became more and more hands-on, which was the exact opposite of what they should be doing. So there were there was less interesting voices in network television because it all went through the meat grinder of what they felt they could sell, uh, and it became just more boring and more obvious. And um, uh, so Netflix has a joy that they bring to the process as opposed to a fear that I felt at networks. The fear comes into the writer room because whatever you're doing, you feel like somebody there is not going to be happy. 
uh, and they were going to let you know. So, uh, but at Netflix, you feel like, you know, they're, uh, they embraced it. They had no notes. They said, great, go do it. You know, they would have a couple of notes. We would have table reads where they would come out and say, this is fantastic. Go, just don't fuck it up. You know, those yeah. are the only notes. So, and you, and you also have freedom to do what looks like a traditional, almost an old-fashioned sitcom, but has curse words and... Bad words and drugs. Yeah, bad words and drugs. <laughs> and, and gore everywhere. Which, by, by the way, I also wanted to ask about that. Just the, the effects, like, just Liv and Skylar. Like, can we talk about some of the, or everybody, some of, like, the crazy effects that you guys are dealing with? How, how does that work? What's that like to do? Um, we're, we're blessed to work with, like, a, an incredible team who work on the special effects. Tinsley. Just... If anyone in Hollywood needs a good effects team, Tinsley. Um, and I like I never forget a moment while we were filming season one, where they made um, Dan's corpse double. They made like the the fake body of Dan, with all of the bite marks missing out of him and like everything taken care of. That is that is a dead fake person, and they put him sitting upright in a cast chair. <laughs> <laughs> And that entire day, everyone was just walking, like, around the studio going, Jeez! Okay. All right. No, it's fine. Or, like, hey. Like, hey, what's up? And, and, and that's, that's, I think, like, very indicative as to, like, how we treat the, the gore on our show. Is that, like, like I, I don't know about you guys, but, like, I'll end up taking selfies with the fake dead people. Uh, and, like, you'll step over an arm and be like, oh, well, just another day at the office. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> it's like gallons of blood everywhere. And it's like there's a sense of fun and a sense of play with all of that, which is great. And yet the effects look so real. Absolutely. I mean, it's insane. It's I am eating parts all the time. And yeah. they, I mean, I again, like I started in like f I think my first. Uh, effects movie was Firestarter and they had to put me in a full body cast because there were people burning all around me and that was a little unsafe. So they were like, we're going to build like a wax, but it looked like fucking Madame Tussauds back then. No offense to the special effects team. You only had wax to work with. Um, <laughs> but like they covered my whole body and put two straws in my nose. It was the first time I understood the term claustrophobia because I'm not and uh, but you're and they're waiting for the plaster to dry, so you're lying there. I was seven, and like it took 45 minutes from head to toe, like closure. Tinsley, I it's so crazy, like the technology and how they do it, just everything looks so real. And I think that helps the show that it's not the comedy is within the characters and the dialogue, it's not because it all looks like you know, um, some crazy movie, uh which I, I think helps grounds it. Like you can see pores. Yeah. You can see individual Hairs, pores. And everything hair is and dead like on. Eyelashes and like. So, so a lot of it's not, it's, it's a lot of it's really All there, of, like, not a like lot CGI. Of it, a lot of it is practical. We events. do, yeah. yeah, both. There's on set, Tinsley, uh, Christian Tinsley does our on set stuff. We do also work with a, a company called Zoic, which does our post effects, uh, which we also, there are uh, second season, we use a little bit more, post-effect. Should I give you a spoiler? Something exciting that happens. You know that ball that she throws up? It grows legs and walks. Live. <laughs> That's crazy. So that is something that you'll see uh, is all a post-effect. So, you know, we do... Did you know that? Live. <laughs> Mr. Ball, ball legs. legs. We call Sorry, him Mr. Ball legs. 
funny Tim, thing. Tim, let's do our inside joke that we have, too. What's that? What's ours? Because we have one, too, right? What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not ready to give it to the world. Yeah, we have so many. It's yeah. hard to choose because we have so many. Inside and I don't know about you, but I find the special effects way better than the special effects I was working with when I was seven as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't. Didn't, no, I found that. I mean, I don't case. know what you yeah. worked with when you were seven, but it this was is, this. It pales in comparison. Because that was to the, like Tinsley. Year, yeah. <laughs> My uh, brother what? and I were working with pretty advanced stuff, but nothing like yeah. this. <laughs> Drew, what Sorry. are you eating, though, really, when you're eating? What is that? Um, People just want to know. I'm eating ego, that's for sure, on this set. <laughs> um, which I don't have any already, but I'm, I'm eating humble pie. I know pie. the answer to all of these by now. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Tim, you answer it. Uh, 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 wet cake. Uh-huh. Fish, uh, sometimes. What? Sometimes. Where have you... Has it been fish? It's, it was ahi tuna, tuna at the family dinner. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, my God. You, the more you know. Um, <laughs> I only heard that, that dehydrated apples. Dehydrated apples, yeah. As well. Chopped up pasta with red dye. Drew likes to say something about edible rubber, which we all know is not possible. It's not a Did thing. You? I've ignored it. But she continues to say it. Um, did interview you know after interview, that you there talk are about rubber ed- trees in Asia? Well, that's where rubber comes from, is the rubber trees. That doesn't mean you can eat it. Does that, am I trying to get him and sounding so stupid at the no. same time? No. Organic, it's an organic rubber. I'm, I, there are rubber trees, and that's where like our rubber yeah, comes from. All, but all Victor, rubber comes from trees. you want to weigh in trees? on this? It does? Whatever we hand oh, Drew. Shit. See, it this is also like, like... He's eating a tire. We, whatever we hand Drew, we just put the word edible in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's edible rubber. It's no. It's edible but rubble. this is the essence of Liv and I on the show is that even though Sheila is trying to be like an authority figure, she's always just learning everything from Abby. <laughs> <laughs> and their relationship to me was also a huge selling point as a mother of two daughters with Victor. And my daughters are younger than Liv. Um, Tim has teenage kids as well as uh, Victor does. But um, I do think the dynamics between women in general and mothers and daughters like, is so humbling in itself and fun and exciting and interesting that I, that was also. And Victor said Abby is in her origin story. Like Abby is a badass. And I want my kids to be badasses, and I want to be the proud mother of badasses in real life. Here we go again. And that like struck an emotional chord with me with the show. Tim, do you want to say anything about the inspiring relationships between... I just want to say the relationship between... that Skylar and I also <laughs> we have between yeah. fathers and like a son right. is also so special and unlike right. anything that women have. Yeah. Fathers and, and boy neighbors. I feel like right now, especially... Yeah. Especially with young Eric boy doesn't neighbors. have a dad. He had a dickhead stepfather who you killed, and he needs you. I'm just saying. Now more than ever. Now more than ever. <laughs> All right, this is such a great audience. I feel like we should ask, I should ask some of their questions. Um, um, by the way, thank you for taking the time to moderate this, Mr. Like, big <laughs> Vanity you. Fair dude. Oh, yeah. From Digital like Headquarters. I was so honored to be at the 92nd Street YI live in the Upper East Side with my kids, and when I found out you were moderating this, I was like, really? 
Oh, stop. Please. No, I'm serious. Thank you. Thank well, you very much. Thank you. And I actually edited your cover story that Krista wrote a, a little while back, and she told me to say hello. Krista Smith. Skyler, anyway, they, sorry. They also have a little. Here we go. They have a um, little. Hey, I, I used to play basketball here. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you. And yours, yeah, my in-laws live a few blocks from here. And when I was uh, poor and broke and, and struggling, they allowed my wife and I to live in their place, which God bless them because it meant the world. And then I'd walk down here to play basketball. And that's the end of that story. It's pretty good. I like it. Okay, this is a question. I actually had this question, too. Um, you are all hilarious. How much of that is part of the genius of the script, and how much is improvised? Oh, it's all us. We're very it's funny. mostly us. I'm glad we have Victor here to, to fact check this. We just send out a paragraph of, like, this is what the scene should kind of feel like. And then it's they like just, <laughs> the script. The script goes, um, Drew says that. something yeah. funny. Tim says something funny. Liv says something funny. Scott says something funny. End of episode. That's it. Just the Larry David model. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm sorry, because I feel like I'm just hamming it up over here, but I swear to God, I've never had a job like this in my life. It is word perfect. Yeah. If you do a scene where the and doesn't have the comma, and so should I, as someone will say it, like the, the wording of the script is so unique. It is not exactly the way we speak. That's always my excuse to Victor when I fuck it up. And Tim and Liv and Skylar. I'm like, I'm sorry. It just the, You would go after the then. But that's what makes it so funny. The writing is so crisp and unique. And you have to learn it in a way that doesn't almost make sense to memorizing. It is written like much more of the comedies of the 20s and 30s. It is very rare, it is very unique, and if you fuck up, the script supervisor comes up to you, tells you to get it right, and you reshoot the shot. And I love it. But it is a new exercise, but it is word perfect. There is no improvising on the show. If you like it, then you like the writers, and you appreciate the comedy people bring to it. But, and it has a real voice. I mean, it, you can tell, you can tell, and in a great way, I think. So, uh, and I think, Victor, this one's for you. Uh, or maybe it is for Skylar. Should Eric be worried about ending up in a fridge? In the fridge? Oh, please no. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, no, we love Eric. We love Skylar. No. I mean, it's a small cast. Look, it's only uh, four people, so we're not going to kill any of them. We have plenty oh, you of heard it here first, so we're going to hold you to that, Victor. I think we, we I, could get that in writing. I, <laughs> I think this is for Drew. Do you have any curiosity about eating humans now? I guess anyone could answer this. <clears throat> no, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> Metaphorically, maybe. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, if you could eat anyone in Hollywood on the show, who would it be and why? <laughs> so glad you guys are asking these questions that I can't answer. So would that be a, someone you like or dislike, do you think? Like, See, we've them, had this like, conversation before. Like this, is, like, this is something that we've, like, tossed around on set before, and it always comes back to that. Is it like, well, is it, is it something that, is it an, an honor, or is it, like, a revenge killing? Like, do, is it someone that you admire greatly, or is it someone that you despise? And we could never quite figure it out. None of us ever landed on anyone. Okay, but isn't the show, don't, on the show, you're killing people that deserve to be killed, right? We're doing our best. Yeah. We're trying. <laughs> Be bad people in Hollywood, then, I guess, if you're going to eat them. 
Yeah, but I don't. Some of the, you know. The writers' room told the story that I guess a few years ago in Germany, somebody uh, took an ad out that he would eat you if you wanted him to, and he had about like 400 people, I guess, responded to this, and he did eat apparently two people before the police. Did they? Understand Isn't that an it wasn't of the just the crowd? pussy? <laughs> That certainly changes the question. Women responded. They were like, um, yeah. I'm Netflixing and by myself. I'd love to get never mind. I should have just stopped before. Okay. Okay, this question is from a young actor and a fan. He describes himself as Ethan Koske. I'm uh, sorry if I said that wrong. My question is for Ms. Barrymore and also for Mr. Gisondo. They both started acting at an early age. If they could give one piece of advice to a young actor like themselves, what would it be? Scholar, do you want to start? One piece of advice? Yeah, to an actor like yourself, a young actor. Um, well, you figure I'm 47 now, so it's been... <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, I don't... Uh, I think just pay attention and like learn, just learn from other people. I think uh, I really benefited from being lucky enough to work with a lot of really cool people. I mean, this experience included, and I'm always just sort of watching and really soaking it up. Uh, and I mean, it's just so awesome to be around people who are super good at what you like to do, right? Whatever it is that you love to do, it's an awesome opportunity. So I feel super lucky to get to work with everybody here every day. And uh, that was always something along the way that I think I did. But you don't want to tell them how most kids that started out when you started out are just fucked up. <laughs> it's true. I was just on Colbert tonight, and like, what the fuck? Why did right? this fuck everybody up? I mean, it 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 did for me for it's like a up brief for period. Adults, but doesn't everybody Children. go through a brief period of like crazy? But it's just not publicized, Part and they're not that, proud right? of it. Yeah. But nobody knows about it. Right. Come on, both of you, right? How, I mean, he, by the way, he really, both of you, it's amazing. But because I would assume it was just bananas. <laughs> you have to warn him. There's a Do kid you, out there. It, you have like a good family structure. <laughs> Listen, yeah, I don't know how like, old you are, but I didn't start till I was in my 20s. And I hated kid actors. <laughs> yeah. Because they got, the, they got the parents with them. And they're nightmares. <laughs> Don't be that guy. <laughs> That's the advice. Well, did an eight-year-old ask? I know it wasn't for me, but I felt like I needed to jump in. It's a cry for help, for God's sakes. It's a cry for help. See, you thought this answer was from me and Skylar. It's from Tim. Well, well okay. Do you have an answer, Drew? I would never let my children do this. Like, until they're, like, in high school and they want to do plays. And um, my daughter's about to attend a school that's, like, really big in sports and theater and academics equally. Like, they want you to try everything that you're afraid of or incapable of and or excel at uh, equally, which I think is so cool. And, I mean, I couldn't love it if my kids wanted to do this more when they're older. It would be so hypocritical of me if I didn't. But... I just grew up in such a unique way. Like, my kids go to sleep at 7.30 every night. You know, they just know a very normal, stable life. And, and you I, had straws in your nose with fire. Yeah, like, I was yeah. asleep in restaurant booths with my mom at midnight, like, at four. You know, this just, right. 
we're living completely parallel lives. So, you know, I I do like worry about kid actors because they do seem to all get fucked up. So, Skylar, this question on, should really... Let's take a really... look at the kids. Where's the kids? Let's Save put yourself. the spotlight on the kids. Ethan. I was going to say... I f- let's decide. Yeah. Hey, there he is. Oh, okay. There he is. All right. Let's chat. Let's talk. Hi. How old are you? All right. Come on. How old are you? How old are you? Twelve. Oh, man. All right. Okay. Everyone's listening, so you, you, they'll remind you if you forget about this. I'll tell you two things. One, it's a job like any other job, no matter what anybody tells you. It's the same as any job. You do your job, you show up on time, da-da-da. And here's the, here's the problem. Nobody ever tells any of us to shut the fuck up. <laughs> no one ever does it. No one ever says, oh, my God. Hey, Tim. Tim. Thank you. <laughs> This is the problem with the job. Normal people hear that all the time. People in our line of work don't hear it. They just want you to make sure you, you, you do the dance when the lights are on, and they'll give you candy or do whatever you need. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. They're just going to prop you up. You were so really you making have to have sense somebody before. In your, right? No, this is making sense. Because you said it's a job, like any other job, and yeah. I think that's where kids get lost. Yeah. Like, totally. It is a job. It's like a summer internship at an ice cream store or a fish aquarium yeah. or some, you know, Nantucket Island dream that you're working at, like, this, like, I'm going to pull tadpoles all summer, like, for free. But what, what it is is asking you to be at your call at 8 a.m. You work your work shift, and you go home, and you get a good night's sleep. And that's what gets lost because we're kids – we think that it's really fun and maybe we can color outside the lines, but it's no different than a man going to his office and clocking in and clocking out. But you, if, for most part, if you misbehave, even if not then, even now... I never misbehaved at work. It was always outside of work. But then what, but then what changed along the way? Well, I had no, no parents, and I had to... By the way, Tim, now you see what it's like on our set every day. Liv's like, Tim, I'll have your real answer. Timothy. I think I'm fine. You're going to be fine. You're fine. Good for you. You are fine. All right, Ethan. But I'll tell you what, it is a fun job. It is a fun job. I'm going to fuck up that much. Yeah, but it is a job, and I will say, even in my wildest wildest of um, times in my life, they were always extracurricular. I never once was late. I never once didn't know my lines. I never once pulled shit, and that is why I got the karma to get my job back. It was embarrassing to screw up your life at thirteen years old and have that be on the cover of the Inquirer. And of course, they pick like the picture of me holding ET. It's so pathetic, like. Like, I might as well be in my pajamas with a teddy bear. It's, like, just so awful. But I always knew how lucky I had it, you know? Never screw people over. Never screw up your job. Figure things out in your personal life. Nobody gets a free ride of behaving perfectly their whole life. Shocker, but they don't. But keep it to yourself. Be professional always. And somehow things will shake out okay. And then I think, Dad, you have to take your... 
I've worked with a lot of kid actors, and some uh, really want to be there. And the, where it works best is when the family is following the kid's lead. If the kid desperately wants to be doing this, then it, I think it generally works. But I've also worked with kids who thought they wanted to do it. They don't anymore, but now they're stuck in it. And the parents really want them to keep doing it, and that's where it starts to go off the rails. So the priority is great childhood. A great childhood could be non-acting, or if the kid really desperately wants to act, then a great childhood is to empower your kid as you would to, if he wanted to do anything, to you know, give him the tools that he has, that he, that he needs, so he can go off and do it. But it's really up to the, you have to really want it. I think that's the thing about acting, is you have to really want it, because you know, 5% of the guild makes a living acting. It's a really hard gig. These are all very successful actors. Most are not. You know, we live in Hollywood. I, we have friends that are all, you go to auditions once a week. You're getting, you know, a lot of it is very personal when you don't get a role. You have to really, really want to be an actor to, to act, I think, we, or not be able to do anything else but act. Yeah. But since we're on this topic, isn't, isn't it, it's not just about the work, but it's really about, I mean, Drew, you were getting at this. It's about the life. Like, what are the things that are making you think it's not a job, I'm bigger than everybody else, right? Like, what's is, is, isn't that part of it, the toxic oh, ego God, trip? Oh, God, I'm a maggot. I'm not only not bigger than anyone else, the craft service man is much more powerful than me. Oh, so you feel smaller than everyone rather than, than bigger? No, as a, I just as don't a, think that ego has a place in this world. If right. Freud's triangle of the id and the superego, uh, fine, great. But the ego is just bullshit, and you've got to rein it in because... It's true. <laughs> Who in the hell thinks they're better than anyone else? Right. I'd like to eat that person. There you go. We got that and answer, finally. teach them a fucking lesson. Because you're not. Everyone yeah. has a place in this world. Everyone can make a huge difference and become one of the most powerful, influential people. They're just another human. And another person can be as happy with their own contented life or somewhere in between. I, I have no belief in my body ever since I was a child, and I still carry this, and I will until the day I die, that anyone is more important than another person. And that's the way I live my life, period. I don't remember what the question was, but that's the answer. To that's great. The that was, that was the I answer I lost my for. way <laughs> around. Well, we're uh, getting close to time to wrap up here. I want to remind everybody that the second season of The Santa Clarita Diet premieres on March 23rd on Netflix, which is very soon. Before we close, though, I want to ask everybody, we'll, be, we'll all be watching that for pleasure, but it's work for you guys. What, what do you guys watch? Let's go down, starting with Victor. What do you watch for fun? Like, what's your fun oh, watch? Uh, we were talking about The Crown. I love The Crown. I don't watch a lot of comedy because... Uh, I got into it because I loved it, and now it feels like work when I watch comedy. I'm, I'm kind of deconstructing it too much. I don't right, enjoy sure. it much. I love The Crown. I did watch, um, I feel like I'm plugging Netflix, but uh, End of the Fucking World I thought was really good. Uh, limited run, I think. Eight episodes. Really uh, smart. I really enjoyed that. Those are the two I've been... It's a small uh, French show, not to sound mis like I'm Mr. Smart Guy or something, called uh, A French Village, World War II. I thought II. we said egos were, we weren't going to have ego no, tricks I, here, really Victor. These guys have, or, I mean, that's one of the reasons the show works, I think, is because they are egoless. This is what I would tell you, too. Be useful. Try and be useful. Don't make it about you. Make it about what can, how can I be helpful right here in this moment? 
with whatever you do, but certainly with acting, because you see actors that are protecting themselves, or uh, and it it, it's, it comes from an ego place as opposed to how do I make this better? What I'm doing right now, and all of these guys have that, and so they're very open to direction. They're very open to the script supervisor coming in and saying like, "Hey, you know, you're transposing these words. If you do it this way, it's it's probably going to work better." Many actors would be furious at that because they don't like being told it's their station. They don't like being told it's an ego thing. Yeah, but that's silly. It makes the worst. Well, it's but it's not that uncommon. It is silly, I think, but it's not that uncommon. I am furious when it happens, but I wait till I get home and I take it out on my children. <laughs> Whatever you do, it works. I just I feel that's the that. professional thing to do. <laughs> All right, Liv, your turn. What what show do you are you watching? Um. If I, I've, I've been watching a lot of movies lately, um, uh, which, has, which has been really fun. Um, I had a cold very recently, so I marathoned all of Broadchurch, which I know is not recent, but I love it very much. And then I, and then I went immediately from Broadchurch to watching Nailed It, that new baking show on Netflix. Because so, I just felt like I needed a palate cleanser between, like, you know, Stella fucking performances from like David Tennant and like Olivia Colman and, and and like like murder and crime and intrigue and like I just need to see some people ruin a cake. Yeah. yeah. I just need a break. <laughs> so that's what I've been watching lately. Tim. Uh, I don't watch television. <laughs> oh, um I um I've been enjoying as they say March Madness. Oh yeah. Or it's known in my house March bullshit. You're not a UVA fan, are you? It's just bullshit. Oh. <laughs> it's, I just don't... Is anyone paying attention? My bracket looks awful. <laughs> it's just... Oh, one game. And it's... Anyway, so I do enjoy... Uh, I like sports. I feel like that's... It's a drama at its best. Um, and... Um, I'm a, I'm a terrible television watcher. I'm, I'm really big at watching just like one of 10 minutes or 15 minutes or something. And unless it's amazing, I, I, um, I get, I'm just bad at it. Like we were just on these, we went, uh, it was amazing. We had this wonderful experience. We got to go to Asia. And, and on the one thing that's great about those long flights is you can watch 10 minutes of everything. <laughs> and, and I can tell you about 10 minutes about uh, the, um, the Justice League which is probably all you need. Right. Um, I'll tell you something else that I found curious. They had television on there, and then you click on drama, comedy, and da-da-da, and I clicked on comedy, and I watched uh, a little bit of a couple comedies, and it was curious. They were all really depressing. Uh, there's a curious thing happening. I had no idea. There's a lot of comedy. Depressing is the They went the other way. They went, with the, <laughs> they went with the non-funny comedies. <laughs> They were really interesting and artistic, though, and I'm sure if I stuck with them, it really would pay off. But um, sadly, I didn't. I'm like with Victor always, I watch The Crown. I loved it. And this is why Victor and I have emotional, amusing, tender, heartfelt conversations, and then I go in and eat somebody. And he and I think that's really normal. Tyler and I have a similar thing. <laughs> yeah. But I love Victor. I, I do. I love Victor so much. He is the greatest person ever. And he created this show. And I love it so much. And I hear people like it. And then I'm like, 
This is exactly what it's like on set. I'm not kidding. Like, you are literally getting into a glimpse of one of our 17-hour days. And he's just, he's, he's such a kind and gentle family man. And you're like, what the fuck are we doing here? But it's like, great. Because there is a human, decent, loving person behind it. And you probably sense that amongst all the weirdness. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> And of course, Victor and I watch the same He's show. Dropping. I'm with Victor. The crown. <laughs> All right, Skylar, take us home here. I'll yeah. just sort of watch a reel of uh, my career, different things that I've done. <laughs> and I'll just... Because it's not... I, I, I'd imagine it's what Daniel Day-Lewis feels like when he watches. Right, yeah. Uh, and it's like, wow. Because what's shocking is how good I was right out of the gate. <laughs> right. I like The Office. I always watch The Office. Peaky Blinders is so good. Peaky Blinders is great. Um, but yeah, that's it. All right, well, thank you guys so much. You have been a blast. Thank you to this fabulous audience. Thanks for listening. 92i Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.